Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Boy, uh, this episode has been long in the prep phase. So let's get Aaron on the mic and uh, let him give us a brief overview of what's going on, what this episode is going to be about, and what led him down this road for us to create an Christian conspiracy theory on this topic. Aaron? Well, I've been uh, writing a story about this for a while. I I, um, wrote most part of it maybe a year ago, and uh, it was based on the story of uh, the story of Lilith, uh, which is very famous in modern times. Um, as it was, well, it's actually been famous for a very long time. Um, and I was trying to put it together a little more and uh, put a little bit more content in it when I, you know, stumbled across some interesting facts, uh, a new interpretation of the uh, book of Genesis that very few people may have ever looked at it like. And um, so a few of you may have heard of something called the gap theory, which is a theory that um, there is a gap between the two, first two verses of the book of Genesis. And um, the idea goes that God created the world twice. He created um, one world before this that we know, and um, he ended up destroying it. And it goes to, well, I'll just read the first two verses of the book of Genesis in the NESB. In In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, in the Hebrew, the text could literally be translated in verse 2, and the earth became formless and void. Or, instead of formless, could say a wasteland and empty. And um, this just poses some interesting questions that... Um, see how we see the heavens and the earth were created first, then the earth became formless and void, and then God said, let there be light. Things are very interesting here because a lot of people use these foundational points as their biblical support for this gap theory. I'll just go through them from the Wikipedia article. 
the word was in Genesis 1 verse 2 in, for some adherence is more accurately translated became. Uh, such a word choice makes the gap interpretation easier to use and see in modern English. God is perfect in everything uh, he does is perfect. So a newly created earth from the hand of God should not have been without form and void and shrouded in darkness. Uh, the next one, the Holy Spirit was renewing the face of the earth as he hovered over the face of the water. Psalms 104 verse 30. Angels already existed in a state of grace when God laid the foundations of the earth. So the, there have been at least one creative act of God before the six days of Genesis. And lastly, Satan and his angels caused war in heaven and had fallen from grace in the beginning, which, since the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, had to have had to have occurred before the fall of man. So there's just some some points there as to some possible biblical support for that. So, Aaron, back to you. Please continue. Now you you now you've got to the the famous part that says that the um, that the uh, spirit of God was uh, renewing the earth. This this comes from um, from Psalms 104. Wherein it says, you sent forth your spirit, they were created, and you renew the face of the ground. And with with, with that, um, th that goes to back to uh, Genesis cha chapter 1 verse 2, and it says the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So the, the theory goes that the spirit was trying to renew the surface of the earth trying to um, uh, fix it and when it was and we know the point being that um, fixing it was the new creation and that was the creation that God said and that God saw that it was good that was this creation so um, pretty interesting point there too it certainly is it, it makes, well, it opens a window, is what it does. Uh, a window of opportunity for something, obviously, to have had happen. And it, it brings up much consternation in the church, because this leads people to something else, because inevitably... Uh, people want to twist this up with, well, gap geology. Now, they say with that that the one day might be a million years. This has got nothing to do with that. This is before the six days of creation. This is before his spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. And you know, I've got some thoughts on that myself, what that could have been implying there. But there's no doubt about it that, that these issues are separate. This is a gap between uh, when God started creating and the first day. So I just wanted to lay that down concretely that no, we're not saying that there's day ages. 
We're saying this is before that event altogether. Uh, Aaron, your thoughts? Well, yes. The um, the gap theory has has been used to support the the theory of evolution, and um, uh, that's not necessarily what I mean. It, it's um, the the uh, one of the roots of the gap theory was to understand that um, to try to explain the carbon dating, which isn't all that accurate anyway. But um, so, but nonetheless, whatever reason it was made, the theory was made up for. It is poses an interesting question, an interesting idea. So. Um, I'm not going to get go into the the argument about evolution or whatever, but um, we're not saying that the gap theory does not say evolution is true, or that the Earth is a billion years old. It is um, it is an interesting take on this second verse of Genesis, which um, which it's it's very intriguing to me and um so the thing that um all poses the main question when was this creation when um and why why did god destroy it what happened and um uh that that is something that we hope to cover here um what was this creation for? What happened here? And something that we might have been ignoring or missing the entire time was always right in front of our faces. Well, I certainly have to agree because you you have to have some type of narrative. Okay, there's – look. If there was a narrative for the first day of creation, i.e. he went through the steps, and he did this to facilitate the creation – of the Garden of Eden, if there is a gap, if there is a reason why this creation was literally laid waste, God created it for something. Now, obviously, that wasn't man. Um, obviously, all the things detailed, you know, the birds, the fish. No, we're talking about something altogether different. And you would have to look for keys in the scripture for references to, well, creatures we just don't – well, do I even say it like that? Do, do I even use that terminology of creature? Uh, whatever he created, he created a habitable environment for something, for his creation to exist in. So – when I put it like that, that's that's the real question. Is there any type of entities that are mentioned specifically in the scripture? Because he would have had to give us, us information uh, about this narrative. That fits the bill, Aaron. What's, what's your thoughts? Well, there is... The book of Genesis isn't the only narrative of the creation. There is um, multiple um, creation narratives 
um, specifically in the book of Psalms and of Job. And um, many of them describe the wrath of God in this sort against some sort of monster. And um, the one specifically is known as Leviathan, the dragon. And um, that uh, brings us back to the seven-headed dragon of the book of Revelation. Um, there is uh, poses a question, why was there a dragon? What does the dragon mean? And um, I'm beginning to believe that perhaps the Leviathan of the Old Testament is of a species of creatures that ruled the earth at one point. Well, if that be the case, they would have had to rule over something else. There would have had to have been some other type of entity that they were ruling over. That would be my natural instinct. Uh, so what's your thoughts on that? Is there any other type of beast or entity? I mean, I just don't know what to call this thing, but these entities for the Leviathan to have ruled over. Your your opinions, your thoughts. I don't know, but if we were to say that the dinosaurs were these dragons, then we're talking about hundreds of different species of them. Well, that gives you an opposing nature. Uh, we know that uh, the Leviathan is mentioned many times in association with water. So is it possible that there was something on land that was... Well, mammal. Would that be something to look for at least? Yeah, well, um, the two great creatures in, in the Old Testament um, that are often mentioned hand in hand is Behemoth and Leviathan. And Behemoth, um, in uh, the book of Job, Job 40 describes the Behemoth, which translates as, as a plural of beasts or cattle. And um, uh, Job 41, the following passage, describes the Leviathan, which is a dragon sort of creature. So, yes, um, we have um, this Leviathan living in the water and the behemoth living on the land. So this certainly fits the bill that we have a superior... Now... I take note. That's exactly the opposite of the traditional creation. That's topsy-turvy. Because we know beyond any shadow of a doubt, man was given dominion. And he is certainly not aquatic in nature. So right from the beginning, Aaron, something is, well, topsy-turvy to me. Because you're correct. What is stated in the Bible about the Leviathan clearly gives him dominion in this this time of tohu bohu. I mean, this is what the Hebrew phrase is. And the corresponding uh, Septuagint is roughly unseen and unformed. So this definitely 
gives credence to to what you're you're getting at here. At least it does in my opinion. There's so many things that come up at me at this moment that I'm I'm trying to sort out what which to focus on first, but um on alternative to what you're saying. I'm not saying what you, um what you're saying is completely wrong or or anything. I'm just saying an alternative theory is that there were three main species, primary, and the first are angels, which have dominion in heaven, behemoth has dominion over the earth, and Leviathan has dominion over water. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Okay, let us, let us riddle for ourselves, shall we? Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Number one, right? That's number one. It's true. Then he mentions every winged bird. This is everything that flies. That's the end of the fifth day. The sixth day, well, we have the um, the beast of the earth. And then lastly, he makes man, gives it dominion. So here we go again that what you're saying may be obviously correct, and now we didn't realize it. It was staring us right in the face, ladies and gentlemen. He made the angels, Leviathan, and he made the behemoth. When you look at these as species, now everything just kind of explodes off the pages. This gives you clear rhyme and reasoning as to why this was done. God had done it before, and something terrible obviously happened and completely destroyed it. Whether God himself destroyed it, or the war between these angels and leviathans and behemoths, who knows? Your thoughts, Aaron? Yes, um, yes, these, these, if these three could be the three primal primary species that um and perhaps all equal in in power um it's a shocking thought i mean just not no just wait a minute it makes sense so you have the angels would be like the birds of the air right yes then you have the leviathan would be like the swarming things in the water and then the behemoth would be like what does god say Okay, everything else. I mean, just, just, just listen. Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, beast of the earth, after their kind. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth after their kind. He just, there's three separate ones. There's birds, there's fish, and there's beast. Or, or animals, I guess. Animals, look. Aaron, that makes sense. Now, you saying that they both had equal power in this sense. Now, remember, man was given dominion. He's not made yet, right? Is this the rhyme and the reason behind the creation of man? And that dominion was outside the realm of the angels, the leviathans, and the behemoths. I mean, to me, it just makes sense, Aaron. Do you, 
what do you think? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, just but but what you did say formally could still could be could be valid that um that the Leviathans had power over the behemoths because remember that if we were to say the birds were um the angels then were like the angels then the the Leviathans and then the um and then the the angels were created on the day before the land creatures on the fifth day and then the sixth sixth day um um i I feel like I would be slightly confusing for the audience um I'm saying reflected this this is before the create the sixth day creation, but we're using the we're using the sixth days as an example in comparison um so before I get any further um i i I want to say something very intriguing about tohu bohu or um the formless and void in in the Hebrew um now I'm going to go to um well the Leviathan is strictly masculine in the in the scriptures as we have it but um opening up the book of Enoch um it says in um Enoch chapter 60 Verse 7, and it says, On that day where two monsters parted, the female monster, named Leviathan, to dwell in the abysses of the ocean over the fountains of the waters. But the male is named Behemoth. Okay, so, um, why, why is it calling it a female Leviathan? Well, um, I believe that this Leviathan was, this female Leviathan was the mate of Leviathan. Leviathan was perhaps the king of all the the monsters and she was his queen. And what was her name? Um and um take note of that. Okay. Um let's go back to um chapter um of uh, uh Genesis chapter one verse two. It says, the earth was formless and void. The word is tohu and bohu. Okay, and to- tohu can be translated to home in Hebrew, which means the abyss. You put a plural at the end of it, it is tohomoth. If you do the same thing with bohu, it becomes behemoth. Well, Aaron, that kind of takes you by surprise, doesn't it? That kind of makes you step back and have a Salah moment. Now, Aaron, God does this all the time with the Hebrew law. And I don't know if we'll breach that topic and go into even the Leviathan and Behemoth possible anagrams. I don't know if we're going to go there or not. The information you've already shared is kind of probably rattling everybody's cage. but. Ladies and gentlemen, Biblical Hebrew is purely a prophetic language how God can do this. So I absolutely agree with you, and that certainly created a Salah moment. What's your thought on that instance? Is God 
prophetically pointing you in these directions? Yes, uh, um, I'm beginning to think that that Tahomoth was is the inversion of Behemoth, or Tahomoth was the um, the mate of Leviathan. That's this female Leviathan that Enoch is talking about, and this Tahomoth is ties into um, the um, Babylonian epic creation epic, where um, the Enuma Elish, where the dragon is Tiamat, the, the word Tiamat could be the same as Tahomov, just with different vowel spellings. Well, that is the whole trick with Hebrew. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what God did with Hebrew. He took the vowels. And everybody needs to just accept this, that every rabbi on this planet will tell you they have no clue how to pronounce Hebrew. They will tell you that the closest is probably how the Samaritans pronounce it, of which there's less than a thousand left on this planet. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what Aaron just said makes absolutely perfect sense. Aaron, back to you. Yes, and um, with with that, um, give it, giving um, the the a little overview of the Babylonian creation epic. Um, in that story, um, the there was a giant, a dragon monster named Timat who um, rebelled against the false gods, and um, uh, after she was killed and defeated. They created the earth out of her waist, um, her corpse. So um, that it's strange how this Tahoma thing ties in. Bear with us; we're slowly scratching the surface here, and um, let's let's put that on the on the on the back burner, okay? Um, and I, I mentioned earlier that there's other creation um, stories mentioned. And, uh, in this, in other books of the Bible. In Psalm chapter 33, verses 6 to 7, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, mouth all their armies. He gathers the waters of the sea together in a heap. He lays up to homo in storehouses. So I, um, I, uh, trans- transliterated some of these words or gave my own translation, but that was basically the NASB. And here it says, he lays up Tahoma. But with the other um, point to make about the creation here is that it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And um, uh, this could be understood that all creation was created by one word. So we could say that in the first creation, God created everything with one word. That is interesting indeed. Um, you know, was you going to make any reference to the other time Tohu Bohu is in the scripture? Because it is. It's in – and strangely enough, Joe and I just did a did a remembrancer on Matthew chapter 18, and it tied directly to the same chapter. But uh, – Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 23 also contains Tohu Bohu. 
uh, in an obvious uh, prophetic vision uh, of what, well, of what, of what happened. Have you looked at that text, and and what's your thoughts on that, Aaron? I haven't looked at it, no. And uh, I got a lot of things I'm trying to keep in my mind at the moment to uh, before I forget it. So um, you can talk about it if you want. No, that's all right. We don't we don't need to jump off topic. So please continue why you've got a hold of this topic in your mind because it's it's overwhelming, Aaron. Just just what we've covered so far. So please continue. Okay, so um, something we haven't touched on yet is that the creature Leviathan is mentioned plenty of times in the Old Testament, and often to God slaying him. And we go back to um, Psalms chapter 104, which was the one I just I just said had the um, had the passage of renewing the ground. That was verse 29. And and in verse 26 it says, There are the ships that move along in Leviathan which you formed to sport in it. They shall wait for you to give them their food in due season. Okay, so um, it's, it mentions just on the side, food, out of mentions Leviathan and then food. Then we go to chapter... 74 of Psalms, verses 13 to 15. You divided the sea with your strength. You broke the heads of the dragons in the water. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food for the people of the Seam. You broke open the streams and torrents. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Now, I I put people of the Seam, which is something... As another topic, but it could be translated the people of the wilderness. And that's going to tie in the show following this, the food. But mention, but stay, stay with me. We mentioned God crushing the heads of Leviathan and giving him his food. And more importantly, the locality thereof. Why is this all taking place in the water? And Let's go back to Genesis. Think about what I already mentioned. So, this this tohu bohu time, okay, ensues after God has d- did just what He just said. He destroyed the Leviathan that was in the sea. Yada yada yada. Now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in and kind of well flutters over the surface of the water and it progresses to the point that now man is given dominion, a specific entity created to keep the habitation, to keep this Garden of Eden. So that just brings out to me more reasons as to why all this happened, that this time uh, the Holy Spirit got involved to uh, we'll make sure that the water was restrained. Your thoughts, Aaron? Um, no thoughts right now, but yeah, I, very, 
Very good point. Well, then, please continue. So, the next passage that I'm going to read is from Job chapter 26, another creation story. And I'm going to return to it in another show following this. But this is, it, it mentions this in verses 5 to 13. The Rephaim tremble in the waters in their inhabitants. Sheol is Aram before him. Nabadan has no covering. He stretches out the north over the wasteland, Tohu, the word wasteland is Tohu, and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters as a boundary of light and darkness. That's another thing you might want to notice. That this is this is how he created the boundary in that time, was inscribing a circle over the waters. And the pillars of the heavens assemble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens were cleared, and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And in Isaiah chapter 27 verse 1, the fleeing serpent is another name for the Leviathan. So what is this Rahab, and why is he mentioned with the fleeing serpent? Let me keep that in mind again. I will move on to Isaiah chapter 51, verses 9 to 10. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake is in the days of old, in generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the seas and the waters of the great abyss, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? Okay. So who is this Rahab? And why? Why is he mentioned with the fleeing serpent? Why was he scattered by God's understanding? Again, Job chapter 9 verse 13 says, God will not turn back his anger, and beneath him crouch the helpers of Rahab. Rahab means pride in Hebrew. And I'm beginning to think that there's a coalition here. One being a certain Rahab, and the other being Leviathan. And we've done a show on this before, but I, I'm raising a different idea, that this was some angel who rebelled before the flood. I mean, before, in this first creation, this Rahab, which may be tied into, um, we could say, was tied into, well... I'm going to say could be tied into Ezekiel chapter 28. And there, the great cherub that fell. And um, I'm going to stop and let us talk about this for a minute. Before, but before that, I'm going to put this out there. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 2 um, shows this cherub saying, Your heart was lifted up. You said... I am a god. I sit on the seat of a god in the midst of the seas. So here, going back to water, the seas. Well, Aaron, I, boy, oh boy, um, boy, oh boy, how how do I want to put this? Um, I'm gonna have to cross a barrier here and really 
really throttle um boy really throttle everything it's something that you and I have talked about before um and boy um this is really tough it it amazes me that everybody forgets that there are let me just read it i don't know how to put it and each one had four faces the first was the face of a cherub and the second the face of a man the third the face of a lion and the fourth the face of an eagle there is everything mentioned here of course you can read this in different translations and, and well you get the gist you have a missing cherub there should be a cherub in the likeness of a aquatic animal there's not ladies and gentlemen this could very well be telling you the riddle of the missing cherub and did this cherub have a name of rahab aaron your thoughts uh <laughs> wow yeah you know, i actually remember a few years ago you mentioning that to me why is there not a fish and it's 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 a very good point you have a bunch of land beasts and then we have a, an eagle that flies so where is this where is the fish where's the water creature yeah just just wow yeah this and this being rahab a cre an angel who um was given dominion over the seas and could this be why he coalitioned with the dragon well Aaron you have to realize you have to train up a child in the way it should go Aaron you've been asking me these questions your whole life I mean ladies and gentlemen since he was six years old Aaron has constantly pushed me for the technical data concerning the angelic host. And you can't overwhelm a child. However, you must train them. Yes, that's right. Up. It's, it's steps. You have to take steps to provide a child with the whole picture. Now, you just have to realize what's going on there. Um, you just have to accept it what's what's going on for some reason here you've got you know well one with the face well obviously like an oxen uh an eagle a lion and a man and there's one missing there's nothing for we've already chronicled it's right in your face ladies and gentlemen he created the birds, he created the fish, he created land animals. Where, where's the missing cherub? I mean, does Ezekiel come right out and tell you? Does it come right out and tell you? You were, past tense, the anointed cherub who covers. Ladies and gentlemen, why is he saying that? Oh my goodness. Why is he using this phraseology? Why? 
Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Is Ezekiel coming right out and telling you? Is what is this the the aquatic cherub? Okay, verse fifteen. You don't have to like it. Past tense. You were. Is all the other scriptures that Aaron read? Is that just God not caring what anybody knows? Because he don't. He's no respecter of persons. I mean, he tells you the end from the beginning. Um, he's already. Uh, He's already chronicled to you what happened to this cherub. He was pierced. He was divided or quartered, however you want to look at it. Aaron, your thoughts. Is that the rest of the verses that you've already read chronicling what happened to Rahab? Was God just not caring whether you knew or not come out and told you? Yeah, there was a fifth cherub, and I took care of that problem. Your thoughts. Yeah. It does make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Well, yeah. Yeah, this, um, and he, and it says in, in, back in 26, Job 26, it says that he, by his understanding, he scattered Rahab. By the breath of the heavens are cleared, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Now, so, he did something to Rahab, and he also pierced this fleeing serpent. So, oh yeah, yeah. He and 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 the scriptures are quite clear that God came and did this Himself. He pierced the serpent. He crushed Leviathan. And why? And moving on, why would He do this? Why would God Himself stand up? Stand stand up? Come down from his throne as, uh, um, if you go to Psalms chapter 18, verse 7 to 6, it goes to, to clear descriptions that he came out of heaven. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of the waters, thick clouds of the skies, and the brightness before him passed his trick. His thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. God, the Lord, also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent arrows and scattered them. The lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. The channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. So, what, now wait a minute, time out. Read that last verse again. He sent me from, uh, he, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Are you so sure this isn't talking about the reason why Adam was created? We already stated it before. You think it's the psalmist, correct? Yeah. No, what if this is man? This is why he did it. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you see? It's staring you right in the face. This makes it here let me ask you another question why did god just just tell you what he did don't you realize that 
You could take all the instances of Rahab, all the instances of Leviathan, all the instances of, of Behemoth, remove them from the text, and actually, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you don't, you don't even have to like it. All of a sudden, Job 28 isn't confusing anymore. Because, oh, ladies and Aaron, when did this happen? Aaron, you just read verses. When did that happen? He stirs up the sea with his power, and by his understanding, he strikes through Rahab. Just exactly when did that happen? We're not sure, but was well, then that why, at the beginning of well, well, then why is he giving the information? I don't understand. Explain it to me. Which I thank the good Lord I didn't tell you back when you were six. It would have completely blew your mind off. It would have completely been a mind blower. Aaron, he is he giving you the details of the pre-six-day orderly creation narrative. It's right in front of our face. He's telling us about it. It's just he didn't tell us about it in Genesis 1-1. He told us about it in Psalms and Job's and Isaiah and Ezekiel. To me, son, it just makes sense. Now, it's nothing I would dare build a uh, doctrinal pillar off of because he he doesn't come out and say it. If, if this was in Genesis, oh my goodness, there'd be no questions, Aaron. If this narrative, if you was to take these verses out, put them right there in between uh, the verses in Genesis, all right. If you insert this narrative in between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2, everything makes sense. It makes sense. It, it makes sense to me. Aaron, please continue. Another thing that we want to point out is, well, it saved someone from, uh, from the waters. And um, it said that he dried up the, the waters and laid it bare. And um, I go back to Psalms chapter 74. It says, he gave them as food to the people of the wilderness. And he broke up open springs and torrents. He dried up, you dried up the ever-flowing streams. And back in Isaiah 51, it says, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces and pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea and the waters of the great abyss, who are who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So he could say that this is talking about the Israelites cr crossing the Red Sea, or we could say there were some of the people or creatures or whatever lived in that day that God saved, that res God rescued. And here, these were the ones that God fed this food to. And if this be true, who would these creatures be that survived? Boy, that's a $144,000 question. Uh, wow. Well, let me add this. I don't want to comment on that, but I will comment on this. So, this is, well, all things are isochronal. God plainly comes out and says that no... Time is cyclical. It's not linear. Okay, so prophetically, let's look at this this way. The Red Sea was cracked in half, right? Uh, so what happened to the 
fish that were in the general vicinity. I mean, you realize what happens when you take a fish out of water, right? But yet, through the Red Sea, God doesn't say anything about the Israelites having to step over flopping fish, even though that is exactly what would have happened. Now, we have the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan. Same exact thing would have happened when they crossed the Jordan, when, when God heaped up that water. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there would have been fish flopping all around the dry bed as they walked across. Correct, Aaron? Correct. So, I mean, you push me for technical data that I am not aware of. What would have been these creatures uh, that God saved? That is an open-ended question mark for me, Aaron. Back to you. Could we say that well, it says that they were redeemed, that they were saved. I don't know. Could they be literally saved or saved as in, you know, kind of like saved from sin? Well, let's just throttle this, shall we? I mean, Lord have mercy. It's like sometimes I don't want to say things publicly that I want to say to you privately, but this is just the way it is. It's a beautiful time, and I've drilled this in your head since you were born, son. Everything is beautiful in its time. And Aaron, you have did even... <laughs> you've even did science documentations to be handed in at school, and God prevented your teacher from getting his hands on the real technical data of your gene mapping for a dinosaur. Now, Aaron, I'd, let me just say this. Let's go back to the beginning. We know what happened in the fall. There is no consternation. God comes right out and tells you that the angelic host corrupted all seed. Now, you can plainly, as I've taught you, take the skeleton of a T-Rex, and it's obviously half kangaroo and half alligator. Let's take a deep breath, Aaron. What if we'll never know what the dinosaurs really were, son, because there was no dinosaur that was not corrupted in its generations? Ladies and gentlemen, take a deep breath. Let's go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you kind of have to go where you have to go. We got to go back to the flood. You have to go back to Genesis. You have to read it again. You have to understand. You have to remember what it said. Now it came about when man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also is flesh. Nevertheless, he shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of now. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what does he say about 
Noah. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. It's already stated, ladies and gentlemen, I already said it, that it is plain and straight to the point. Noah was the only one that was uncorrupt, and it was not just man's seed, it was all flesh that had been corrupted. What if you will never know what an actual dinosaur was? Because all of them had their seed mingled with the fallen. You think that a T-Rex, well, that's a dinosaur. No, what if that's a Nephilim, and maybe that's why its arms are too short. And Well, there's only a couple of species on this planet that cannot reach their mouth with their hands, because that's kind of what hands are made for. What if you don't even know? What if I don't even know what the behemoth was? Because the behemoth had all of its seed mingled with the fallen, and it became dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are the corrupted seed of the behemoth. Aaron, your thoughts? Hmm. I guess I don't have much to say with that. That's space for itself. Well, just in case, I'll read it. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. It is quite possible the behemoth was saved, and God didn't have to create it. It was right there already. So God just bebopped around and started day one and day two and day three and day four. And and what would have been the first thing that now the angelic host had been elevated over this creation? What would have been the first thing they raped? Well, they'd have went after the behemoth. Then they would have went after man. Look at it this way. You know, it's amazing how there's certain pockets of dinosaur bones in certain select places far away from the promised land. Maybe the behemoth was in their little playground of the new world in places like Down Under. And once they saw that their seed would cleave, then they went after the real target, having had success in their little testing grounds. Aaron, yay, nay, or your daddy's just plumb flipped his lid? Your thoughts? I'm not going to say yay or nay. I'm going to say it's... uh it's something to put put some thought to with what we have. It makes me wonder, yeah. Uh, and how how these dragons would be able to it would make sense why it would they would take it, why God would make a way a, a dry place for the these redeemed to uh, escape the waters. Is say that some the flood that overcame the earth in that time was caused by the Leviathan, and it flooded the earth so that they could come and they could come out on the area where it's dry and devour all the behemoths. Well, Psalms thirty-three verse seven. You already read it. 
He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He is using the same terminology that he used for crossing the Jordan. He heaped it up. He lays up the deeps in storehouse. <laughs> you read it. Uh, like I said, it's above our pay grade because if all this stuff was just right between the first and second verses of Genesis chapter 1, this would all make sense. So it's above our pay grade. He's not coming out and telling you, but then again, is he? I don't know. Uh, off the charts, Aaron. Just off the charts. Please continue. Well, I think this is a good point to end. We're planning on making a sequel to this. And with the food, this food made by, uh, made from Leviathan, Maybe you, I'm going to hint at Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 about this Adama. For because of Adama, God created the trees to grow that are good for the, good to eat. And, well, that's, that's for the next show. And, uh, I hope y'all enjoyed and, uh, till next time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Dunn gave his spoiler for the next Christian conspiracy theory. I didn't know if he was going to give you a hint or not, but the next show will blow your mind.